All right. How you guys doing? All right. Good. Um, so, yeah, this prayer thing was really cool. Um, if you get nothing out of today, just know that God is real. And he's here. Those two things are just the most amazing thing about life. So, all right, so I'm an actor for now, and one of the quotes that, uh, that I've it's kind of guided me is, uh, don't just try to be someone to, who's in movies, but be someone they make movies about. It's governed a lot of my decisions and how I live my life. Who has seen Braveheart here? Raise your hand. <laughs> All right, Braveheart, if you haven't seen it, set aside five hours. It's only a three-hour movie, but you need to have two hours to like, s let it sink in. All right, just let, let the whole experience, because it's the most moving movie I've, I've ever seen. And um, it's about Scotland, and uh, Mel Gibson plays this guy named William Wallace, who's uh, trying to, to get rid of uh, the oppression of England. And at the time, England was just this horrible, they had this horrible leader uh, nicknamed Longshanks. And he was just, he was oppressing Scotland immensely. I mean, just, just being uh, this horrible treatment of, uh, of that nation. And so William Moss led the, the whole uh, revolt against England and uh, to, to be fully independent, to be fully independent of England. So... Can you guys shout out, on the count of three, shout out the most famous word from the movie. It's at the very end. One, two, three. Freedom! Freedom, yeah. I mean, that's, that, is, that is resonates in our soul. We want freedom. We're born for freedom. We're made to be free. And what's interesting is that uh, you know, it's been, gosh, like, I think 700 years since the, that, that, uh, that occurred, that revolt occurred. And two days ago, there was a referendum where Scotland went to a vote whether to stay a part of England or to, to break away and become their own sovereign nation, to become independent. And it's been funny. In the world history, in, since 1919, after World War I, there's been this uh, like moral code, this world moral code about self-determination, about we, we cannot elevate the idea of being independent. And, you know, I mean, it started with us, you know, and then, and then uh, England, I mean, then France, and then uh, there's this, uh, this spirit of, of breaking away from your, of the, the oppressive mother country or even uh, government. So, uh, and it's a great thing. There's been, you know, after the World War II, you know, there were so many colonies that were oppressed by these European powers that broke away and became their own sovereign nations. It's, it's a good thing, but it's not, it's not the only thing it should be. I mean, it's, it's not the thing we should elevate above all else. Because even though that movie moved me so much to the point where I'd say Longshanks in that movie was probably my most... I've never hated a character more or wanted him to be just shredded because he, he just bothered me so much. But in this referendum, I found myself wanting Scotland to stay a part of England because it's a whole different world now and it's a whole different nation now. And um, if we could show that, that first slide... This is the Scottish flag, and it's blue, and it's a little, a little cross there. 
Now show the English flag. This is the English flag, all right? So I always thought the English flag had all those uh, you know, red, white, and blue colors. That's not the English flag. This is the English flag. Now the flag after their union was this. This is the combination of Scotland and England together. They kind of fused it together. So it's more of an equal marriage now than it is uh, a, an oppressive uh, situation like it was in Braveheart. And so I found myself almost siding with those who wanted to stay with England. And, and, and I don't you know, get too political. There's a lot of reasons why. But, um, but one of them is, is that the economy of England is just so immense. Like they're the sixth largest in the world. They have one of the strongest uh, currencies in the world. And so it actually, I mean, as a, as a fan of Scotland, I kind of want them to be a part of that because it's going to be a lot better. And even though they're not free, per se, they experience a ton more freedom by being dependent on England rather than being independent. And so that's where we come back to Paul here. Well, actually, and let's show that next slide. I love this slide. There's, there's, that's William Wallace right there, played by Mel Gibson. Um, so we've been studying Paul for the last, uh, you know, several months here, and the life of Paul, who wrote the last part of the Bible. He's, he was um, just really touched by God. He had an encounter with Jesus. And when I think of someone whose life was the most free and most alive, I think of Paul. Because this guy, this guy was fearless. He lived fully. He loved fully. He was uh, the... the Writers, actually, you can correct me on this quote here. They call him one of the first writers to open, him, open his heart up in antiquity because he, he expressed himself so much more than, than any other writer of that time because he had such a big heart for the people he was in contact with. He lived fully. And I, I believe, you can argue with me here, but I believe that this freedom, this being fully alive and this loving fully came out of his dependence, his total dependence on Jesus which seems, yeah, it seems like it wouldn't add up. By, by being so dependent on, on this being, on this, this person, Jesus, he actually experienced more freedom and became more alive. And what's funny is that uh, they're making a movie about him now. Uh, NBC is, is greenlit this series called AD where they're going to follow the life of the apostles, and it's going to come out, in, uh, I think, in Easter time. So. so he's got a movie made about him. So he submitted to to this God. And I'm telling you, God is the ultimate storyteller. And if you submit your life to him, you're going to see, I mean, all your life, okay? Some of you may say that you, okay, like I've, there's parts of me that say, like I've given my life to Jesus. But there's, there's so many parts of me that I, I, need, I need to kind of give back to him because I take it back and I give it back and I take it back. And if you do that, God's going to tell an amazing story through your life. And it's going to be a story worthy of a movie. And that's the kind of life I want to live. I mean, what's, what's the point? Why are we down here if we're not going to live a life worthy of... Oh, back to Paul here. Um, I'm going to summarize this chapter because it's just, a, it's just a long chapter. So Paul has been imprisoned for his faith, all right? He's been telling people about this revolutionary Jesus, this, this, uh, this rebel, this, this guy who's just started a lot, a lot of trouble up in Israel. So he's imprisoned by the, by the Jews at the time. They turn him over to the Romans, and he appeals to Caesar because he's a Roman citizen. So he gets to go all the way to Rome to have his, his case presented there. So that in, involves sailing. And I don't know if you guys have uh, been on some rough ships or some, on some rough seas, but 
The sea is dangerous. The ocean is dangerous. Ancient times, the ocean was so much more dangerous because you're, you're gone wood. You, know, you have these wood ships that are, that are, you know, oh gosh, not even a, a tenth of the strength of what we're seeing you know, with our ships now. And so, so he's in that. And right from the get-go, there's strong winds that throw them way off course. And we can, we can show that slide of them. This is Paul's journey, okay? So he takes off from Jerusalem, Caesarea down there. He goes up the coast and goes along and all of a sudden they start hitting some intense weather, intense wind, and it kind of blows them off course. So they go down to Crete, and they, uh, they're on the underside of Crete, and they're trying to get up to Rome because they're already way out of their way. And at that point, they should have wintered in that harbor, but instead, they, uh, this is the fall time. This is like, around, like September, October, actually right around the time we are here. And um, if ships, if grain ships made it into, into Rome in the fall, in the late fall, they would get a bonus from the emperor. They'd get a lot of money. So, this, so these captains and the guys running the ship knew that they could get a little bonus if they sail in these, these tough seas. So they think it looks safe. The wind is calm. They take off, and these hurricane force winds come up. This northeaster, they call them, which comes down. There's actually a, uh, uh, a little channel right, right through the Black Sea, a channel down from Russia. There's this little, like, wind uh, tunnel that just comes down and just tears up the Mediterranean. And that's what they hit. So they go for two weeks with no food in the middle of, of, of this intense storm for two whole weeks. And they've thrown away cargo. They've thrown off ship, the ship's tackle. And they're just, uh, they've given up on hope, all hope of, of ever living again. They just, they have no hope they're going to survive. And finally, they get close to, uh, to Malta and uh, they've never seen it before. They don't know what it is. And they see land, and they realize that they're going to crash into this. And so they, they find a beach that they can kind of you know, steer towards. And what's interesting is what they do is uh, they cut off their anchors. They clip all their anchors. Now, the anchor, yeah, you guys know what an anchor is, right? All right. Most important part of the ship. All right? That is your emergency brake. It's like driving your car without brakes. You're not going to do that. As soon as you take out the brakes, the car is, I'm not going to drive that thing. <laughs> and so these guys cut the anchors in order to get to land on this beach because it lightens the ship immensely. These things are so heavy because they're meant to hold the ship in place. So they cut them off so they can crash land onto this beach. They end up hitting a sandbar anyway, but they get very close to the beach. And uh, Anto can uh, vouch for me here. He's a lifeguard. Uh, people drown all the time just on the beach. Now, imagine being a half mile offshore and swimming in uh, from, and with all kinds of unknown currents and everything. Very dangerous. So they saw this danger. They cut off the anchors so they can get close enough. And they eventually made it. And all of them, 276 of them, survived. And we're going to see part of it is, uh, is because of Paul and his leadership. As a prisoner on this ship, he was this leader that, uh, that kind of spoke up because God spoke to him. And so... What I'm going to propose here is that we all have anchors in our life. We have things that we rely on, that give us stability, give us confidence, that give us comfort. And these anchors can be good things at times. But I believe ultimately these anchors are going to hold us back from our destiny. 
They're going to hold us back from landing on that beach and getting to where we're meant to go. So these guys, they gave up something good, this, an anchor, in order to live. And I think of uh, our anchors and, and my own anchors. And um, there's a nurse in, uh, in Australia who did a, a long stay. I think it was 12 years or 20 years. It was a long time. And she worked with deathbed patients. And she, she, choreographed, or she uh, wrote down, recorded their, their regrets in life. And it's fascinating to listen to like the top five regrets of these uh, these people. We see that. First one is I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not what others expected of me. I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not what others expected of me. Let's see the next one. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Let's see the next. I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. Let's see the next. I wish I'd stayed in touch with my friends. I wish I'd let myself be happier. I don't want to live with any regrets, and I don't want you guys to live with any regrets in life. But I'm telling you that if we let these anchors that are, that are attached to us, that are, that are holding us down, if we let them persist in our life, we're going to have these regrets here. Like, I see all these, and I'm like, these are all people who had tons of anchors in their life. I mean, okay, number two, okay, he probably had the anchor of, uh, of just wanting to wanting to make something of himself through his job and identifying with his job. He was so connected to it that he, he neglected his family, neglected his friends, neglected what was really important in life. Oh, gosh, yeah. These are, we can leave these up here. Um, so my anchors, I mean, the, the thing about, oh, gosh. The thing about these anchors, they give us a feeling of control. They give us a sense that we're, the, uh, of, of safety and control. And you see these sailors in, the, in this ship, they, it took them facing a crisis of life or death to have their values change. They're, try, they're, they're racing to make more money, to make it to Roman time so they can get more money. And as soon as the crisis hits, their values just change. And they start dumping the grain overboard, they start dumping the cargo overboard, and they finally clip the anchors in order to save everyone's life, because their values are just so clear. And these people are all saying these things on their deathbed. And they're saying these things because they've hit a crisis, that they're finally realizing that what, life really, what life's really about. But they're realizing it too late, which, which sucks. And so, I think of the, the anchors in my life. Uh, gosh, there's so many. Um, one is, is I desperately want to be liked. Love being liked. I have abandonment issues, and so the more I can get people to like me, then they're not going to leave me. So the more I can get people to like me, they're not going to leave me. And I've seen it rob me of my true self so many times. And I, gosh, I don't want to live that way. No one wants to live that way. And then there's 
the desire to be, to be a good influence, which sounds like a good anchor to have. Like, being a good influence is a good, you know, it's, uh, what, what, it's a great service to society, being a good influence. But if you make that what you're hoping in and what you're relying upon, it'll destroy you. And I've seen it have so many negative effects in my life because I'm, I'm not able to be my true self because I want to be a good example. And, and uh, I remember one time, see, I love dancing, okay? I love dancing. And there's something about it that is, uh, it makes me feel so alive and free. And I'd say, like, a small percentage of the time, I'm actually dancing fully free. Most of the time, I'm dancing, and I'm having a good time, but I'm, like, looking around, okay, who's watching me? Who's watching me? Make sure I'm, okay, that was a good move, right? That was a good move. Okay, good. All right, yeah. Oh, that was a little weird. Okay, I won't do that again. I was joking. I was joking. <laughs> and it's, uh, and it's, it's like, it's a beginning of prison. It's not fun. I mean, it's not fully living. And I remember that there's been this thing in my life about the good influence thing where I've just wanted to, um, I've always wanted to be presidential. I've actually didn't have a strong desire to be president, but I've always wanted to be presidential and have a good influence on things, you know? Like, 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 and and I, I think of Obama versus Howard Dean, okay? I don't know if you guys remember Howard Dean. Ten years ago, he was a Democratic candidate, governor of Vermont. He's, he's gaining in popularity, and he's, uh, he's, you know, that the campaign is on, and he's growing, he's growing, and he gives this impassioned speech after the Iowa caucus, and he's this, it's this famous speech he gives, all right? And he's talking about how we're going to march to this state, to this state, to this state, and it's beautiful, it's, it's, it's exciting, and at the end of it, he goes, woo! And it's, and it was, it was kind of exciting, everyone was like, oh, cool, in, in the actual uh, auditorium, people were really excited, but... You couldn't, on the, on the recording of it, you couldn't hear everyone cheering the audience. All you heard was this guy going, woo! And it got replayed 663 times on media. 663 times. It killed his campaign. Just killed it, because he wasn't acting presidential. And I see that, and I'm like, oh, gosh. Like, that's another reason why I need to keep this anchor attached here, of being a good influence, because if I want to influence the most amount of people, I can't be my true self because then I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eliminate some people from influence. And they're going to look at me and say, oh, he's a little bit weird. He expresses himself in, in this way or he dances funny. He's goofy. He says goofy jokes. Like there's, that's not the way I want to live. I don't want to live with it. I want to cut off that anchor, all right? I want to get, get rid of that. Last one, uh, and there's a ton of them. I'm focusing on three of my anchors here. Uh, last one is marriage. I've wanted to be married for a long time. Like, you know, there's like that, that little like, oh the, oh, the guy's lifestyle, especially in, in L.A., like you can, you know, you can wait as so long as you want, but that's, that, that's never been me. Since I, might, you know, since I was 25 at least, I've wanted to be married. And that's a good desire, right? That's a good, that's a good anchor to have, to rely on that. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. It changes society by building these families around these marriages. Like, it's a, it's a powerful thing. What, what could be bad about that? Well, when it's relied upon too much, then it becomes something more than it should be. And then I start holding back my true self once again because I want to impress people. I want, I want to, to widen the pool of candidates I have for, for marriage. <laughs> and it's, it's very logical, but, but it's horrible because I can't be my true self. I can't, I can't you know. And uh, it just, yeah, it, it, it really sucks because I've seen so much of my life spent on, and, and even being in relationships, and trying to make them work because I want to make them work for marriage, you know, and, and make this thing work. And it's all about committing and, oh, we're going to make this work. And it, 
And, it's, uh, and I've, I've wasted a lot of time, I think, with that because I've, ha- I've been, I've been have this, this uh, over-eagerness over for marriage that's been an anchor that's, that's held me back in life. It's held me back from being who, I've meant, who I'm meant to be. So how do we, how do we get rid of these anchors? Right? How do we get rid of these anchors? We see the R word up here. Bam! <laughs> Repent. This word, I do not like this word. I do not like this word. <laughs> and you know why I don't like this word? Because I have an anchor in pride. I have an anchor that, that, that I rely on that like, oh man, I grew up a, an athlete and I, I'm all about performance and, and performing well. And when I see this word, I'm like, oh gosh, that means I, gotta, I probably made a mistake and I gotta, gotta change it now. And it's very humbling. But I want to try to redeem this word today. Because repent just means reverse course. Just reverse course. It's not scary. It's just reversing course. All right? And it can be a little scary if you, if you have a strong pride anchor like me. Because uh, reversing course is, is similar to a U-turn. And I don't like making U-turns. Right? When I'm driving, I like to know the directions. And I, I pride myself in knowing L.A. very well. And I don't like to, to miss a turn. And then, oh, we're going to make a U-turn because it's so humble. Because you feel like, oh, I made a mistake. And it's just... <laughs> It's just very, uh, it's, it's, I don't like it at all. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, but it's the best way to live. Jeez. Um, so so, so two, there's two ways that, um, yeah, so these anchors can be cut in our life and, uh, or, or just want to be cut. First is a crisis, as we saw with the, with the sailors. The sailors hit a crisis. And we see with uh, even the uh, people on their deathbed, they're dying. Their ship is going to crash. And so their values change. And so the question here is that do we want to wait? Do we want to wait for a crisis to come in our life, for our values to change? I don't want to wait for that. In fact, before I really knew God well, I was trying to, to, to change, to make myself appreciate life more when I was in college. And I used to, I used to hold my breath in the morning see how long I could hold it, to teach myself, okay, oh yeah, this is to, to appreciate air and appreciate being alive. And so you can impose these, these crises on yourself, but it's, it's not, it doesn't work. You, you, need, you need to either go through them naturally or, or there's another route I'm going to talk about. But really, I mean, that's, that's why we have the greatest generation. The greatest generation lived through World War I, the Depression, and World War II. And they were the greatest generation. We call them that because... They weren't superhumans. They just went through so much crisis that their values just came right to the surface. It became so clear. And obviously the storms of the sailors. And then, so my mom was diagnosed with cancer when I was 15. And as she was battling it, I saw her, her life change. And I started being around some of her cancer friends that she'd meet in the chemo rooms. And I noticed that cancer patients are sometimes... They're more alive than we are. They're more in touch with their true selves. They're more alive than we are. And that's, oh my gosh, it says something, but I hate to wait my whole life to get cancer and then all of a sudden start living. Why wait for all that? But really what happens in these moments is kind of like when I was, and um, we had a bird in my classroom when I was little, and it was flying around the room, and of course no one was paying attention at all. We're just watching the bird go back and forth, and the teacher is so mad, you can't chase it down. So... I claim it was my idea. I'm not sure if it was my idea, but 
I said, let's turn off all the lights, and then we'll open the door. And as soon as we did that, we turned off all the lights, the bird just found the daylight immediately. And that's kind of what happens in a crisis, is that there's all the other lights in our life, all the things we're relying on, all these anchors, just kind of just fall away because we see things as they truly are. So, uh, anybody know how they catch monkeys in Southeast Asia? <laughs> Typical question. Um, so, one of the ways they've used in the past is they'd take a coconut, they'd hollow it out, they'd make a little hole in it, they'd attach it to a chain, and put it in the ground. And they'd put a little shiny gem inside, or a little shiny rock inside. The monkey sees it, puts his hand through the hole, it's a very tiny hole, but he gets his hand through. He grabs the gem, and then he can't get his hand out, because his hand is bigger now with the gem inside it, and he's stuck. And this monkey will stay there until he's captured and slaughtered because he can't let go of this gem. He can't let go of it. It's shiny and he wants it and it's, he can't resist it. And I think that it applies to us in our life so many times. We're anchored to something we don't want to be anchored to. We're anchored to, to something we can't resist and we're just stuck. And we're just, we're not living the life we want to live. But I wonder if you put a giant gem next to the monkey, right, right, right next to him while he's stuck. I wonder if he would let go then and, and go to grab that. The sailors had that. The sailors weren't any smarter than the monkey. They just, they saw land. They said, okay, don't need my anchors anymore. Cut them off. Let's go, let's go to land. We, we, can, we can live here. What is it for us? That's the thing we got to think about. What is it for us? For me, so I, you know, I, I have anchors in my life, but I also have, have defeated a lot of anchors. I've cut a lot of anchors. And the only way I've, I've done that is by meeting God, having an encounter with God. It's the only way that's done that. Knowing, knowing that he died for my sins, for all our sins, but, but specifically for mine, in my, like, because I, He's so personal. Knowing that he died for my sins, he forgives me for everything I've ever done, everything I've, I'm, I'm going to do, everything I'm going to do in the future, he forgives all that. And he makes me perfect in that. He, count, he calls me perfect. And he calls me his, his son. Not because of anything I've done. It's beautiful. He attaches value to me without, regardless of performance. He gives me my, my review before my performance at, at, at a theater. He gives me my review before that. And he gives you your review before you perform in life. He loves you regardless of performance, regardless of condition. He loves you unconditionally. And that experience, oh gosh. That, when I talk about God being real and God being here, like that is the, the high of life. And that's been the high of my life. And, and when, I, when I'm in that and when I, when I face that, Anchors just, just get kicked away. Like, I don't care anymore. Like, oh, marriage? Yeah, whatever. I'll go my whole life single. I don't care. Your love is amazing. And I love it. And I feel it. And I know it. it's going to be, it's... Everything in this world, everything in this world, apart from God, is going to fail you. It's going to let you down. Hmm. <laughs> So, 
knowing I'm, I'm totally accepted, some of the, the, the victories I've had with anchors is, uh, is career. So I, I, I was a real, like, real focused on performance all my life. And, um, and when, once I got to college, I was just, you know, just trying to, to keep that up. And then I, I had an encounter of God's love. I, I felt like it was a blanket falling on me. It was like suddenly it wasn't hard to, to not drink. All of a sudden it wasn't hard to, to hook up with girls. It was just, it was just like, it was just easy for, for, a, for a time period. It was awesome. And from that, I decided to work at this camp, this Christian camp. And, uh, and as I was looking, making the decision about it, I was offered so many opportunities. I was offered to work in, a, in this really good real estate firm that was, uh, that would just, it would have been, the guy was making like six figures right out, like three years out of college. And, uh, and then another person wanted me to stay on an extra year in college and, and run for vice president of the whole university. And that would have been great on my resume. They could have opened doors in the future. But it, it did, I didn't even want those things. I was just like, oh, no, I'm going to work at this camp. This camp sounds awesome. And I look back, and I'm, I, sometimes I'm surprised I did that. But I, I, it was just because I experienced so much love and so much acceptance and so much high from God that I was able to do that. And then the same thing with, uh, with acting. I mean, gosh, if, if I want to be an, an achiever and an accomplisher in life, why the heck would I go into acting? I mean, that's, 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 like, that's worse than the lottery. It's, it's worse than, it makes no sense at all. But I've had so much fun these last 12 years even. It's been 12 years since I've, and it's been mostly unsuccessful. But I'm telling you that, like, I would never have made that, that, that step into this business if I was so focused on career and actually making something in my life. I felt so free. Even public speaking, like, you know, I, I may seem a little comfortable up here, a little jumpy at times, but I, it, it, it terrifies me. It, it really does. And it, ever since I was a kid, I, I've, I've done speaking, but it's always terrified me. Even going up to where I was joking the other day uh, about going to take communion. When it's communion sitting up here, I hate when it's sitting up here because, like, I feel like I, you walk up and everyone's watching you and it's just too, it, I just don't like that, you know? But there's a part of me that, that, that does uh, love speaking and, and love um, being in front of people, and he's helped me overcome that and actually get in touch with my true self because I'm able to, to like let go of, of the anchor of, of fear of what people think to some degree, you know? Um, so, and then my, the, the last example is my dad. My dad is not a perfect man, but he is, uh, I respect him in so many ways. So he was offered a job uh, in his... Uh, after my mom was diagnosed with cancer, like about two years into it, um, to be a CEO of this company. And he actually just went up to, to Whistler with this guy who, who took over the CEO job instead of him, because he turned it down. He went up to Whistler with him on his private jet, and this guy is like making bank, so much money. And my dad turned it down. And I remember I was like, why are you turning this down? This is stupid. What, 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 are, you, what are you doing? And he was just so simple and plain about it. Like, I want to spend time with mom. I want to spend time with mom. And he's, he's, there's not a, even a hint of envy in him about the, this job. He's excited about flying in this, in this cool plane. But, but he, he has, he ne not once do I hear anything of like, oh, yeah, it could have been me. Not once. Because he was able to deal with that anchor and, and just cut it off somehow. That anchor that just... That, that would have, like, oh, my gosh, being a CEO of a company? I mean, gosh, you could go back and tell your dad that. Go tell your friends that. What a great thing. Be a CEO of a leader of a company. And he was like, nah. Nah, it's all right. I'm good. I love that. So uh, a couple weeks ago, um, uh, we heard about uh, Matthew 13, 44. And um, 
And uh, I remember, uh, um, I remember you asked that, you asked me, like, you asked the audience, like, what, what do you guys, um, does you know uh, the kingdom of heaven parable? And I yelled it out back there, my little uh, anchor of, of wanting to impress people. It was like, oh, Matthew 13, 44. Uh, <laughs> I was just, uh, so, yeah, it's so silly. Uh, but I love that verse because it's, uh, it says, actually, can we pull that up? Is it? Oh, no, actually, I have it right here. Never mind. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. I think so many times... I've, I've seen this in my own Christian walk here, that I try to sell all I have before I find the treasure. I'm told by, by preachers and guys up here, like, hey, hey, man, you, you, need to, you need to clean up your life and do this and do that, you know? And I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. I should have those values. I should have those values. I should cut those angers. I should do that. But I'm like that monkey with my hand is caught in that coconut because I don't see any earth and an alternative. So why would I let go of that gem if I don't see any alternative? So if that's you today, we're going to have a time later on where I want you guys to pray for God to show you his treasure. Show you the treasure. Because when you see that treasure, you're just going to, oh yeah, anchors, forget that. Pride, forget that. You'll be so free and so fully capable of being your truest self, the self God made you to be when you find that treasure. You don't need to force it. You don't need to force it. Just ask him to show me the treasure. I mean, I find that. And then it'll be easy as, oh yeah, of course I'm going to sell everything. Of course. <laughs> it's treasure. Are you kidding me? It's worth so much more. So, there's a line from Mumford and Son uh, in the cave. And I don't know what he means by this, but I'm going to tell you what I think he means by this. He says, you will understand dependence when you know your maker's hand. You will understand dependence when you know your maker's hand. And if we're having trouble submitting all of ourselves to God or giving our whole life to God, we give him parts of it, but if we have trouble, like, yeah, I don't know about that. No, no, I'll, t- I'll take care of this. If we're having trouble in that, we don't need to force it. We, we just need to pray for God to show us his hand, show us his character, show us his treasure. Because when we see how much, how loving God is, we see how, how satisfying God is, and knowing him and being in, in fellowship with him, in relationship with him, and hearing from him and actually sensing his presence, when we see that and experience that, dependence won't sound like such a bad thing. And independence will start to sound really stupid. So, um, there's a uh, little thing I had when um, I hate giving blood. I hate needles. I hate them, all right? It's, it's one of my irrational fears. They're, they're, meant, they're meant to help me, but I hate them. And so I'm at, the, uh, I'm at the doctor's office, and I'm about to go to Europe on this cool trip, and the doctor's office is just taking forever to take my blood, and I'm just sitting there, and it's like, and my anxiety's building, and I'm like, oh, gosh, I do not want that. I do not want a needle stuck in my arm. I don't want that. It's stupid. No. And... 
this verse comes to my mind. It's, it says, and it's Paul talking. It says, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Jesus' blood has, has bought us. He, he died for us so that he could rescue us from ourselves and from the world and from sin. And he owns us now. He wants us to be dependent upon him. And, okay, once again, that, that, that also curls my skin sometimes. Cause I'm like, oh, no, no, I want to be my own. I want to be myself. And it actually started to become relieving as I started saying this verse over and over. And I realized that, oh my gosh, like, this is not my skin. This is not my blood. This is not, this is not my body. I'm just, uh, I'm a part of something bigger. And it was almost like, and the reason why group projects, when you're in college, group projects never work because the responsibility is not defined, you know? I always end up doing so much more of the work in the group projects uh, or getting so frustrated with everybody because it wasn't defined clearly. But God is saying, I'm responsible for your, your body. I, I, I own you. And you, so you don't have to be responsible for it. You don't have to worry about dying. You don't have to worry about keeping it alive. And the relief I felt from not having to keep my, my own body alive, it, it gave me such freedom, such freedom. And all, all of a sudden, I was like, okay, like, I know, I know in, my, in, my, in my head, this needle is meant to help me. It's like going to take my blood and actually see how I'm doing. But in my, in my instincts, I, I just see a, a sharp object being jabbed into me. And so, I, so I'm, I'm trying, trying to resist that. But knowing that my body's not my own, it's not my responsibility to keep myself alive, gave me such peace. And I was just like, oh, all right, this is not mine. I don't, and I, if, if I'm going to die from this, then it, it's not my problem. It's not my problem. And it was so relieving. I was just like, all right. And what was so cool is that from that little, like, pity, pitiful little experience in a doctor's office. I ended up passing out, by the way, anyway, but I was, I was fine. I was fine. I was like, all right, they got the blood. Um, so from that pitiful little experience in the doctor's office, I, was, uh, I ended up going to Europe, and 9-11 happened, and my friends canceled their trip, and I ended up working for this nonprofit. And, uh, and it, was, it was one of the scariest moments of my life, but it was also the most alive I've ever felt. I was staying with a family friend who was this NATO commander in Italy, and I was, I was planning to go over to Kosovo, which is a, at that time had only been a year out of a civil war, and it was just a bloody genocide went on there. And the night before I'm supposed to go, we start bombing Afghanistan and Iraq, and, we move, go to, and the whole military's moved to DEFCOM 3, and so we're at this party with this uh, NATO people, and we all have to go home, because that's the protocol, you go home, you stay in your houses. And, and he tells me, he's like, you're not going. Like, you're not, I'm not letting you go, go down there. And I, I was like, no, I'm, I'm gonna go. And I, I'm, this is the guy who was like terrified of a needle like two weeks ago. And, and suddenly I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go. And it was, ended up being the most exciting experience to be in the middle of this former war zone, helping people and being like, like just, gosh, it was just, I felt so alive, so alive. It's all because of the little moment of surrender, of cutting that anchor I had of, of like owning myself. So when Paul... Can we pull up verse uh, 21 through 26? Let's see. It's the, so Paul addresses the guys in the ship. All right? He stands up. And Paul, this, during this whole time when the storm is raging, it sounds like this guy's just cool. He's, he's, just, he's just cool because he's, he's, not a, he's not worried about his own life. So Paul stands up. And he gives him a speech. Let's go to the next verse. Um, and then the next one. Yeah. So he says to the men, he's like, last night an angel of the God to whom I belong. 
an angel of the God to whom I belong. There's the secret right there. He recognizes he's as cool as a cucumber because he knows who he belongs to. And he's just in the middle of this ship, and, and he becomes this leader of this ship as a prisoner. As a prisoner of 276 people, there's a centurion on board, there's 100 Roman soldiers, there's all these, I mean, it's a crazy amount of people, and he becomes the leader that everyone listens to because God has done something in him. And he's like the truly, he's the only guy in that ship who's truly free and truly unattached to any unnecessary anchors. I want us to be that. I want that for Basile. I want that for you right now. So another quick analogy is uh, if we got rid of our dependence on, on the sun, if earth got rid of its dependence on the sun as we're revolving around, you know, because the, the sun makes us revolve around itself. It's, it's, its gravitational pull is so strong it pulls us in. So if we wanted to rebel against that and kind of become our own, our own uh, planet revolving around itself, that wouldn't happen. If we got rid of the sun, we would end up revolving around Jupiter, the second biggest mass in our solar system. And it's the same thing with us. It's like as soon as we get rid of God in our life, or we say, you know, F you to God, or, or say, this, this area in my life is, is mine, we're going to revolve around something else. We're going to serve something else. That's that Bob Dylan song. You're going to serve somebody. But who are you going to serve? Who are you going to orbit around? Who are you going to be dependent upon? Are you going to be dependent upon your, your spouse, your friends? I'm fully dependent. Or are you going to be dependent upon God? Are you going to be dependent upon your career? Or are you going to be dependent upon God? Everything you rely on outside of God is going to fail you. Everything. So let's get rid of it. Let's find that treasure. Paul was a prisoner. He was totally dependent upon God. And he ended up being the most free and alive man on that ship. Do you guys want to be alive? Do you guys want to be alive? <laughs> Real loud, right? Do you want to be alive? Yeah? yeah? All right. Let's live, all right? Let's just really live. Let's value what's, what's important. Let's cut away all these anchors. All these ways we identify ourselves, all these things that are holding us back. Let's, let's start living. Don't wait till your deathbed. Don't wait till you're, till you're 50 or don't wait till you have kids. All right? Don't even wait till then. Start now. Let's live. So let's see that last slide. We're going to spend a little time right now uh, to thinking about the anchors you have in your life. All right? I want you to ask God what anchors are on your, in your life. If we could have the musicians up here. Um, we're just going to sit for a little bit and just think about what do you want out of your life? What do you want to be free of? What is holding you back? And if you don't know Jesus, or you've never uh, given your life to him or even experienced him, then in this time just ask him if he's real. Ask him if he's alive. Ask him what he wants to say to you. Just do it. It can't hurt, you know?